Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Uranio Pais. And today we are talking about what people are like of all nine types when their sexual instinct is repressed. Right, so this is the third of a series of three episodes in which we've been talking about the repressed instincts coming to the type level, like how each type looks like when that repressed instinct uh, is is present. Um, and the other ones, I think, be we recorded last year in 2022. We're recording this one in May 2023. Our podcast is almost always evergreen, so it doesn't matter when you listen to them, but it's good to document when we record them for different purposes. Uh, sometimes we don't do um, a series with episodes one after the other. We do something, um, you know, a bit more sparse. Uh, and today it's the last one of that series of three. And uh, I think people are always interested in hearing about the repressed instinct. Why do you think that is? I mean, I've noticed the same thing. People love talking about the repressed instinct. I think that because it hasn't been much talked about in the Enneagram community, especially in the past, um, uh, people find uh, in those descriptions things that finally explain a few things about them that uh, mm -hmm. hadn't been explained by type and subtype. And also because it's, it's, uh, it's repressed and it, it, there are blind spots, these things become very unconscious and it's intriguing to see how we we don't do things like other people. And, uh, and then we came up as CP with this term called repressed. We do not think it's just a blind spot. And I think people also get a little bit intrigued with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's often surprising to people how much the repressed instinct explains certain parts of their personality that they may have attributed to type or uh, wing or something like that. Yes, definitely. And to me, it made a big difference when I started observing my self-preservation repressed instinct. It was very revealing and it gave me focus on how to work on some issues I had. And as anything related to the, the reptilian brain and the instincts, it's hard to work on, on all of that. And it, it took me time to know how to do the work, that I had to be a bit more directive uh, when, when negotiating with my instinct. And if I don't force myself to do a few things, it doesn't happen. Uh, gladly, it's getting better and better uh, myself. And you're still leaving your wallet at home when you go to the airport. Yes. Don't remind me of that. I was talking about uh, good progress I've been making, but that shows me that I'm very far away. You, and you're right. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, so I think the... the 
The repressed instinct is hard to work on, and as we explained in past episodes, we many times suggest that people start working on that after having worked a bit more on the subtype and the dominant instinct, right? right. Do you see it this way, B? Yeah, I think people get really interested in the repressed instinct, and I don't blame them because it is interesting, um, but I think they that puts people in danger of forgetting that you first need to start with type subtype uh dominant instinct that's sort of the main territory to start with just because those things are in the forefront they take up so much real estate and so yes definitely i think it's fun to start observing or noticing things in with the repressed instinct but especially kind of don't put that at the top of the list if you're starting out yeah, and if you have been doing more inner work and for some time, then it may be the right time for you to bring in this uh, theme and this objective uh, for your own development. Because, you know, B, I think I, I think a big, big part of inner work is, is about balance, creating balance balance between the three centers of intelligence, balance in the emotions, balance in the thoughts we have, but also balance in the instinctual sequence. Don't allow the dominant to dominate so much and the repressed to stay so low. And then we will get close to, you know, even some beautiful spiritual experiences that require that balance. Right. So what would you say generally about uh, the, the sexual instinct being repressed before we talk about the nine types? Um, what general comments do you want to make? I think that um, in the past, I used to say that sexual repressed people have less energy. And today I've changed. It's, I don't think that's the most accurate um, way to explain it. Uh, it's a bit confusing for some people. When they do a lot, they relate that with uh, um, having a lot of energy. Uh, so the way I explain it now is sexual repressed people are usually less intense. And intense, less intense than their colleagues of the same type. That's important. So a sexual repressed eight will be more intense than a sexual repressed five. Uh, so it's important to compare oneself with people of the same type, uh, but definitely usually less intense than those people. Um, and in many different ways, like they are, tend to be less confrontational, they tend to be a little less radical in their opinions or when voicing their opinions, and even less intense in general ways of how they come across to others. Even in the, the, the speaking style, for instance, they tend, tend to be more constant, not as oscillating. And many times I see that sexual repressed people are less competitive. Uh, this is something, you know, competition many times is associated, not always, but many times associated to the sexual instinct. The bigger, uh, the more competitive the person is. And uh, one last thing is that 
sexual repressed people sometimes find it hard to to stay connected in a one-on-one relationship uh, as something that is more almost like exclusive sexual dominance make that relationship almost everything in their lives and sexual repressed find it hard to to do so so if self-press is dominant and sexual repressed perhaps this is the person who tends to be alone the most uh, in comparison with people of the same type while if social is dominant and sexual is repressed it's all about being with different people and not with individuals particular individuals uh this is generalizing a little bit because it depends on type to an extent but i think that it's fair to say this is a general tendency and when i say harder to to stick with that one person in any kind of relationship what i'm talking about is that there is a moment that 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 person gets a little bit tired of just doing that relationship with that one person and there needs to be pauses there needs to be you know other things that will almost bring them away from from that circumstance of being with that just one person in a very intense uh, relationship um they are they are also uh, i'm going to say two more things i, I think uh, they are also uh, less invasive in my view they are people in comparison to people of the same type they tend to be a bit more discreet a bit more soft when approaching the other less invasive um and also they tend not to be as jealous as other uh, people of the same type I think the jealousy is many times connected to the sexual instinct being higher on the sequence. What would you add? What would you say about this general description? Although I think it's also a heart type thing to be jealous. Um, and I think while we're mentioning um, the repressed sexual instinct impacting relationships, Amanda would want us to say that Uh, We have an exciting new event coming up in September that we're doing an online uh, course on intimacy and conflict in relationships, in intimate relationships. And people, of course, can learn more at cpnegram.com backslash calendar. Um, And uh, so that's something interesting that if people are interested in this topic generally, they may want to check out. Um, I would add that um, there's something about anger with the sexual dominance. Um, And I think, you know, there are emotions connected to people who have dominant instincts. I think self-preservation dominant people tend to be a little more fearful. Um, Social dominant people tend to be a little bit more in touch with sadness in a certain way. I think often in ways they don't show but it's a little bit about not belonging or not being seen in the in sort of a social sphere. Um, and I think that sexual dominant people tend to have a kind of connection to anger. They tend to have a tendency to be more in touch with anger. Um, and of course, sexual repressed people can have a problem getting in touch with anger. 
um, even when it's appropriate or, or it would be something positive um, for them to get in touch with, there can, there can be a more difficulty accessing anger. Right. And uh, I see that you having this as your repressed instinct have done a very good job in slowly getting more in touch with anger. I think that's super important for sexual repressed people. Um, and maybe we could also say that sexual repressed are a bit less proactive in going towards the other or even in initiating things in the relationship. Um, I think that that's also fair to say. And I want to thank you for helping me get in touch with my anger. <laughs> <laughs> because I think you've helped me in different ways. And one thing of being someone who frequently makes me angry and doesn't, doesn't retaliate too much when I express it. So thank you so much. I think you've done a lot for me in terms of helping me get in touch with anger. Well, thank you for saying that I'm the reason of your anger. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we talk about the nine types uh, in terms of what they look like and feel like when the sexual instinct is repressed? Uh, why don't you start? Sure. Uh, eights are quite interesting when sexual repressed uh, exists. So and that's because they are a paradox. Like eights are intense by nature in the emotional side because of lust. But in the instinct, instinctive side, they are also intense because they come from the body triad. But then when sexual instinct is repressed, there is this drive to be less intense also in some instinctive way. So it becomes a paradox, a contradiction almost. Uh, so what I notice is that sexual repressed eights are, are not conflictive as much as other eights. They're still conflictive because they are eights, but not as much. And they, they don't go towards other people when in conflict as much. They have, have a little bit of um, shy uh, nature, especially if self-press is dominant. Uh, it's not always, but I do think there is a slight tendency for sexual repressed people to be a bit more shy. Um, not not for all, but for some. Uh, and then I think that AIDS, when sexual is repressed, uh, tend to find it a little easier to choose the words they're going to use. Uh, they, they are not as impulsive as other AIDS. So to an extent, I think that AIDS who have a sexual repressed instinct uh, find it easier to do some of the tasks that we usually suggest for AIDS to develop. Um, but that's sometimes because of this other problem of having the sexual instinct as repressed. And finally, I'd say that AIDS uh, with sexual repressed instinct, they are really not uh, much possessive. And, uh, you know, uh, as sexual dominant AIDS are quite a bit. Uh, so many times, if the description in books or podcasts out there uh, portray the eight as being very possessive and intrusive, these people might not see themselves as eights. Uh, it's almost like a contradiction if 
the description of AIDS is stereotyped. And this is another reason why it's so important to understand subtypes and the whole instinctual sequence in order to avoid stereotyping. But right. what would you add? Yeah, I, I would say agree with all of that. I also think sometimes, um, uh, especially if self-preservation is dominant in an eight, if they have a sequence, self-preservation, social, sexual, um, it's an eight that tends to be like a little more quiet and self-contained. Um, and I do agree that sometimes they or others may uh, question if they're an eight even because they don't, they don't talk as much. Uh, their energy isn't as, uh, I will say they still can have a big energy, but it's not sort of as invasive. It's not kind of coming toward you. There's not as much of a need for control. Uh, they're a little more hands-off when it comes to working with others or relationships. Um, they can feel, for lack of a better way to say it, a little more five-ish. Um, uh, they like their private time. They may not like being too involved with others or too many others. Um, so I agree with what you said. They can be sort of a paradox. They're definitely an eight, still intense in some ways, but not in the ways that the other eights may be. Mm. Interesting. And moving on to nines, I think that something opposite happens with nines. It's like the, the more stereotyped nine is the sexual repressed nine, in my view when people don't really understand what sloth is as a passion, they tend to describe nines as being, having more apathy or they, they describe as sloth in a more literal way, like um, being slower. But I think that is only for the sexual repressed nine most of the time. And uh -huh. also I think that the sexual repressed nine is more passive aggressive than the other nines because it's almost like aggression and anger is more difficult for sexual repressed people and then because nines are from the anger triad the body triad uh, they still have aggression but it doesn't go out as easily and mm -hmm. um, they are less out there also they they tend to be more internalized not not in the sense of paying attention to their own needs because they don't but but they are not expensive um and uh I, yeah yes and then there is the another risk if the person doesn't work on themselves of a bit more negligence uh together with the apathy they tend to be more absent and not mm -hmm. make decisions very easily i think that risk that exists for all nines is bigger for a sexual repressed mm -hmm. nine mm -hmm. what would yeah. you add yeah i wouldn't add too much to that i would say um i think the the sexual repressed nine can be a little bit less relationship focused and we tend to think of nines as really focusing on others and being very even connected to others even merged with others not wanting conflict with others but i think there's a way that the sexual repressed nine um, doesn't necessarily prioritize one-to-one -one relationships like 
likes being alone a little bit more, likes being active and doing things and working and being with others and isn't so focused on showing up for that, 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 um, that intimate relationship or the one-to-one relationship as much. Um, because I think it's, it's almost like there's something in them that goes, it goes a little bit against losing themselves and somebody else, even though of course they still merge, they're still very focused on being supportive of others and those kinds of things. Right. Good points. Now for once, B, it's interesting. You know that, uh, very well that we describe the subtypes of ones as the sexual one being more critical of others, right? And especially in comparison to the self-pressed one uh, that is the most critical of self. However, I think it's important to refine that understanding to talk about the whole instinctual sequence. I think that the the least critical of others is the self-pressed one with sexual repressed instinct. Uh, when sexual is second, sometimes I see that the self-pressed one can be more critical of others, sometimes more than a social one, for instance. And it depends on where sexual is to be critical of others to an extent. And then subtype plays a very big role too. Um, and then being inner critical becomes even more of a tendency for mm-hmm. a sexual repressed one. And you know how all body types and perhaps ones even above average of them somaticize. They somaticize a lot. And I observe that sexual repressed ones. Which means? Yeah. We need to define somaticizing. Yes. So somaticizing means when we are containing something, especially emotions, but, but also instincts. Uh, that converts into a problem in the body level, into a health issue, for instance, that becomes a, a, a hell, a, an unhealthy, physically unhealthy manifestation. And I just see that among all ones, the sexual repressed one somaticizes even more because anger doesn't go out. Mm-hmm. And it's the hardest for this one to spot anger. Uh, it's more unconscious even than for other ones. Uh, and finally, I'd say that they don't voice criticism of other people as much. Uh, sometimes they are critical of others in the inside, but they quickly reframe that or they take that uh, on themselves. And especially they don't voice the criticism as much. And this is actually one of the ways that they somaticize, one of the reasons they somaticize. Mm-hmm. But you have a lot of experience with ones. What would you say happens there with the sexual repressed instinct? Yeah, um, I agree. I think there's even less access to anger. You know, that, like you say, the anger stays more in the inside. It, it, it gets converted into body tension and there may be kind of even a taboo on getting angry. Like it's not okay. It's I'm going to do damage, um, making themselves bad for having anger or express, especially expressing anger. Um, and also I would say, I think ones can be very competitive generally as ones, but I think the sexual 
repressed one is probably like a little bit less competitive, um, a little bit less imposing their will on others or their view of um, what should be done or what the perfect outcome is. Um, I think they tend to be more restrained, um, more, uh, like you said, more kind of focused inwardly on directing criticism and um, anger toward themselves. And it's almost like there can be a sense of they're protecting others from their own anger. Um, and, and that can cost them, like you said, um, it can cause physical illness and other physical problems to keep all that anger in. Um, but, but I would say, um, that's, that's what I would add. Hmm. Interesting. Should we move on to the heart triad and then sure. talk about chew? Do you want me to start or do you want to start as a chew? Um, why don't you start? Okay, so one thing is that sexual repressed chews really don't fit the more stereotyped description that chews seduce. Because when we say seduce, while we can say that there are three ways of seducing, that the seduction of the self-pressed chew is more childlike, for instance, people still think of seduction as the classic seduction, the more sexualized seduction. And a sexual repressed chew really doesn't fit in that description most of the time. Um, and, and that creates a problem when to, in mistyping, but also in people spotting what their issues in seduction really are. Uh, another thing is that uh, they are non-intrusive, and sometimes chews are described as being intrusive. And although chews are more proactive and go do things for others than nines, nines are, are sort of available while chews find their way to go help, for instance, I think that it's significantly less for sexual repressed uh, uh, choose. So I wonder who's more proactive in going towards the other and offering help, a sexual repressed chew or a sexual dominant nine? I don't, I'm not too sure, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that sexual instinct plays a role in that proactivity, especially going towards others. And then I also observe that some sexual repressed chews uh, have um, a defense of moving away from people when something difficult happens, which yeah. doesn't happen with other chews. Uh, and finally, they are more, uh, two more things, they, they are more discreet. Uh, even in, you know, gossiping or the way they gossip, I think they, it's not as aggressive as mm -hmm. other chews who have sexual first or second and, and then relationships, they, they can be even more idealized and sometimes even romanticized because it's super important to understand that the sexual instinct is not about romance. It, it's about that more intense connection. It's like relationship can get more romanticized when sexual is repressed and uh, and therefore not as much uh, eroticized, if I can use this word. Is there is this a word that exists in English? Maybe? 
Yeah. Eroticized. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say about shoes? Um, yeah, I, I relate to a lot of that. And of course, this is my, um, my sequence is self-preservation, social, sexual. Um, and of course, my pride, um, the part of me that's an image focused type doesn't like that label of sexual repressed. It sounds like it's not possible for me to be sexy, which of course would be heartbreaking uh, and hard. But it doesn't mean that, but it does mean there is a, like you said, I think especially a kind of urge to withdraw from people much more than move toward people, which I think sometimes surprises people in a two. Um, I had a, a conversation at one of our last retreats with a really lovely sexual two, and we were sort of talking about the differences in our experience with me being self-preservation, her being sexual. And one of the, there were a lot of things we had in common, but um, one of the things that was really different was that she more of the time moves forward toward people. And I more of the time move away from people. Like if there's a problem or anything, one of my first impulse is, is to withdraw. Um, and often it's hard for me to move toward people, even if I really like those people or want to connect with someone there can be too much fear that kind of comes in. Well, what if this, what if that, what if they don't like me? What if that's, it's unwelcome. Um, and so one of my big problems is not being, I mean, proactive would be one word, but just another word would be sort of, I, I don't have always, it's hard to create forward momentum with connecting with people. Another thing I notice about myself is I'm very aware of personal space which isn't something that people think of associated with the two. They think, oh, like twos don't have, they don't need, you know, sort of a lot of space. You can sort of stand close to them and they're comfortable with that. For me, I can get an instant feeling of discomfort if someone is standing too close to me, proximity wise, um, which is interesting because it's not that I want to feel that way, but it's, I just register it. It's like an instinctual, like you're too close, you're in my you're in too close to my, my, my sort of comfort zone in terms of that kind of thing. And also I've been given the feedback. I have a wall up. So I think there are ways where I'm, I protect myself too much when it comes to interacting with others. Um, I definitely, I think that I can be competitive, but for the most part, I don't like to, I, I, I don't like to think of myself that way. And I don't, it, it takes a lot of energy to be that way. <laughs> like if I'm playing a game with my brother or something, I can get competitive or I can want to win if we're playing ping pong, like I beat you one time. Um, but it's not, I'd rather sort of let somebody else win. You know, I'd rather not, it takes a lot of energy, like, oh God, to, to have to compete to, you know, that kind of thing. Uh is something that I easily back away from. So I do think there, I, I, and I, and lately I've been trying to practice being more intense and, and having a more intense focus when I'm with people one-on-one -on -one and bring myself there. Sometimes I notice I can just in different ways sort of back away or not be fully there or not be fully kind of in the, in, in, in the connection and engaged way. But I'm glad you changed your, definition of lack of energy because I have a ton of energy 
Like I wake up in the morning. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. It takes me a while to get going, but it's not for a lack of energy. Um, it's more a mood thing. And like, for instance, I love coffee and I drink coffee, but I don't need caffeine to get going. And I, um, so I, I see myself as someone with a lot of energy, but it, when it comes to the intensity of leaning into relationships or interactions, I can more often feel more comfortable sort of leaning out and, you know, sort of having a safety zone around me. Much to yeah, my detriment. I think that, uh, yes, yes, much to your detriment. And I think that sexual repressed people that have big energy are more constant in that amount of energy, while sexual dominance may have more energy, but they have really big peaks of energy and that shows but uh, i'm a witness to how you've been doing good work in some of the things that are tendencies for sexual repressed people like i said about anger just want to say though that we are in the draw when it comes to ping pong uh we still need to have the tie break yeah right we each won okay. one game we didn't have time for the tiebreaker yeah <laughs> right yeah so should we move on to threes? Yes. Okay, so I think that threes always work very hard and are always very dedicated. But when it comes to sexual repressed threes, they tend to be uh, hard workers that build brick upon brick, little by little, and constant and with a little more of um longer term mindset which is difficult for three so it's not as much a long term as a five would have but uh still it's more than some other threes they are still impatient they are still trying to hurry up but i think they they are not as impulsive and they they are not as impatient as other threes. Um, so I, th I think sexual repressed people, as we said um, uh, months ago in our episode talking about the six instinctual sequences, sexual repressed people are more risk avoidant. And uh, this shows with threes. They are a bit more conservative in deciding what to do, in not being as bold and as, you know, building things brick by brick. But then there is something a bit more complex that I'm, uh, I'll try to explain uh, the way I see it. Um, the way that threes work hard, even when they are sexual repressed, many times make them look like sexual dominance. And I think that sexual repressed threes adapt uh, in, in some situations that sort of require intensity. They become intense, but out of the emotional, heart-based shape-shifting coming from the passion of self-deceit. And that, um, that requires a lot of effort and it's tiring for these threes. Uh, I think it's not very natural. It's part of the adaptation. Adaptation itself is natural, but then they don't do it with the instinct, and that's tiring for them. Mm. Uh, so it, it's hard at times for a three to know what their 
dominant and repressed instinct is because they adapt when they are in a particular job or a particular relationship uh, that tends to change because of the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit complicated, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that the the three that has sexual repressed the way I think of them is they're a little bit more head down, really focused on work or what they're doing or um, on their goals, a little bit less focused on people. I would say already threes can tend to focus a little more on work, on things they're doing because they have a lot of control around that, a little bit less on people. Like when I was a couples counselor, I would sometimes get couples that came in and one partner was complaining about the three partner that they paid more attention to work than the family or than their relationship. Um, and that's the kind of three that I think you can see a lot that they're, you know, often work really hard or they have a social image that's important, uh, but a little less focused on the personal, on the personal relationship, on connecting with others. Um, and a little bit more on stage or with their head down and really getting things done and not allowing sort of those people considerations to get in their way. <laughs> that might be one way of saying it. Yeah. Interesting. Let's talk about force now. I think that sexual repressed force are definitely less intense and sometimes not seen as force in the more stereotyped description of force. And, and then there is something about being less dramatic. And in here, I want to make a comment. I think there are two kinds of dramatic force. The social force is dramatic more in terms of vi- victimizing themselves and complaining, even sometimes moaning if, if they are not very aware uh, but then the sexual force is also very dramatic, perhaps in what uh, you call sometimes the drama queens and the drama kings, you know, more like intense in the way they're dramatized. And I think that definitely, yeah, what, what, what are you going to say? A little more sort of not so much sad, not so yeah. much sad, dramatic, but sort of more superior or arrogant or special wanting to be special that kind of arrogant uh or that kind of um um uh dramatic right yes and i think that definitely the sexual repressed force are not dramatic in this second way and sometimes people might think they are not forced because of that and they may suffer alone even more. And then when self-press is dominant, it's even more. They they show less their pain in a way. And, um, and they are definitely less confrontational. And, you know, I have, I have an impression at times, B, that force are the type that have the biggest range from introverts to extroverts. I think you can find extremes of both and all the shades in between. Uh, and I think this tends to be the, the shyest for, especially if social is dominant. But um, it's super interesting. It's like for eights, it's a little bit like a paradox for force mm-hmm. to have the sexual repressed. What would yeah. you add? You're so good when talking about force. 
I think they can end up looking a little bit more like ones or twos or threes when sexual is repressed uh, because they you don't see some of the um, active energy that fours can sometimes have. You can may, they can maybe be a little more on the depressive side than the active side. Uh, they can be, like you said, more introverted, more internal, um, less kind of getting in the mix of things in terms of competing or revealing themselves and a little bit more going toward um, staying with themselves, not being so out there in terms of just kind of interacting with others in a more engaged way. It can be easier and more uh, relaxing to kind of really be more with themselves um, and and not be needing to be seen as much, I would say is is the four that has sexual repressed right okay so fives i think fives with the sexual repressed instinct are uh, go even more to withdrawing as a as a defense but almost physical withdrawing and they tend to be even calmer and access anger even less which is a normal tendency for fives in the beginning when um, they don't develop, they haven't yet developed that arrow to eight. Uh, but uh, I think there is a tendency for them to be less confrontational. And also there is something about being more routine oriented, especially... Uh, for self-pressed dominance with sexual repressed. I think that uh, although in my view, being routine oriented is more a function of where self-pressed instinct is in the sequence, I think that sexual instinct also plays a role there. Uh, and if it's too low, people can be more routine oriented. I think the best way to describe is that sexual repressed uh, people uh, ha, um, find it easier to take approaches like step by step to do one thing at a time having more patience more calmness uh, to go do things and because fives are already a little bit like that that becomes even more visible but what would you add about fives yeah i think a sexual repressed five is a five that is more on the side of the spectrum of not being in touch with emotions and maybe not even knowing they're not in touch with emotions, um, but having even more of a tendency to want to withdraw, to not, um, to not be so connected to people um, or to do that really only on their own terms, um, less of a need for intimacy under any circumstances, you know? Um, less of a need for expressing emotions, less tolerance for kind of being in that emotional space. Yeah, and maybe then we could say that the social five with sexual repressed might be the coldest of the Enneagram, at least as a risk. Yeah. Uh, that's something to be observed. Yeah. Now let's move on to sixes. I think that sixes with the sexual repressed tend to be more friendly and definitely way more phobic than counterphobic. Mm -hmm. I think that if we take the six 
possible sequences, instinctual sequences for sixes, we have grades or of counterphobia and phobia. And sexual repressed, uh, you know, brings sixes way closer to the phobic uh, phobic side. Um, I also think that sexual repressed sixes find it harder to state their opinion. And, and the procrastination that happens is a little bit more um, based in finding it hard to be assertive and sometimes even to state their opinions. Right. Uh, so assertiveness is definitely a challenge for sexual repressed uh, sexes in my experience. Also, uh, lack of self-confidence goes higher in my view, which is not a, a 640 uh, already. Um, another thing is that sexual repressed sixes tend uh, to, to sound less affirmative, less positive even, or even more pessimistic, perhaps, than sixes already sound in other people's uh, opinions. Uh, and definitely less clear in in what they communicate, what they they say, uh, a little less sharp. Mm-hmm. But what would you add? Yeah, yeah, I would say less in touch with and less comfortable with anger. Um, so harder to express anger, harder to deal with other people's anger. Um, they will tend to be more doubting. Um, more questioning, you know, looking, not, not really trusting themselves as much. I would say sexual sixes tend to trust themselves a little more than others. <laughs> uh, whereas um, sexual repressed sixes, I think, are looking for somebody else to look to, um, whether it's an authority or a protector or a friend. Um, and so even less in touch with their own, not only their own self-confidence and assertiveness, but a, that kind of uh, aggressive part of us that can help us feel a little bit more uh, strong in, in whether it's in having a conflict with someone or just engaging personally, interpersonally. And so I think there's a way that um, the this, this self-pres six or the social six that has sexual repressed is a, a little less likely to confront, um, more likely to do things behind the scenes. Um, one, of the, one of the sayings that I at one point uh, heard someone say when I was actually getting consultation as a psychotherapist was that there are some types that like to fly under the radar you know, or keep a low profile. And I think uh, this might apply to several types when it comes to having the sexual uh, instinct repressed. I agree. Mm -hmm. Very interesting point. Uh, I also think that sexual repressed people sometimes talk less, coming in sync with being shy, perhaps even a bit more like introverts. And that shows really a lot in, uh, for sevens. When seven has the sexual repressed instinct, what I see is that they don't have as much that tendency to talk too much, which is typical for sevens. And then uh, they are more patient than most sevens and less anxious. I think that anxiety tends to be also lower 
hypersexual repressed people in comparison to people of the same type. And sevens with sexual repressed instinct are better listeners. Um, not only they talk less, but they listen better. And uh, definitely they are less idealistic than uh, the sexual seven dominant, the, the sexual dominant seven. Um, and finally, sexual repressed sevens may not look like they have as much gluttony from the outside, although they have really as much as any other seven, because they may be a bit more constant in, in things they do. They may not state all the, the different desires they have, but it's all going on in the inside still. It's just that they don't act out. Uh, as much but what would what would you say and, and add about the seven type seven um i would say when the sexual instinct is repressed you get a seven that's uh more um more careful more practical um often a little more introverted uh, a little more they look a little more like a mental type I think um, some sexual sevens can be more, you know, the name fascination is sometimes part of it or excited or, you know, there can be a little bit more active, upbeat energy. Um, whereas some sevens can, you know, be a little bit more internal. They can look a little five-ish sometimes. And I think uh, the sexual instinct is repressed. That's more likely to be the case. Um, and I think also a little bit less, like, like you've said before, risk taking, you know, and I think whereas the sexual seven, I think is a big risk taker, um, less naive, kind of a little bit more uh, calculating, careful, thoughtful, um, and, and, and figuring things out before they act, um, those kinds of things. Anything you would add, or is that uh, right? I think that do it. I like it. I like what I, what you said, and I think this pretty much sums up uh, all that we wanted to say about the nine types. Yeah. So maybe we can talk about our fun uh, top five of today. Okay, it's time for our top five, I guess. So so let's uh, let's move on to that. Yeah, and what's our top five today, B? I'm excited with it. Um, our top five today is a, kind of an interesting one, maybe a little hard to judge, but it's the types that are most likely to be vegetarians. <laughs> and there is no value judgment here on good or bad in being exactly. vegetarian. It's just what we see as being more common. Exactly. Can I tell a fun, uh, interesting story about when I was so many years ago, when I was at Northwestern University, I was a teaching assistant um, and, as part of my graduate work. And I taught a class it called, and it was in a, a public speaking class. And it was funny because this was just the class I was assigned because I was in the speech department. I'd never taken a public speaking class or taught one before. So I had to kind of figure out how to do it. Anyway, basically it was undergrads giving speeches, right? Short speeches and, you know, teaching them how to do that well. Um, but they got to choose the topics that they would give persuasive speeches on. 
And there was one woman who gave a speech on being a veget being vegetarian, like that she was advocating that it was you were supposed to persuade people of something. And it was so interesting. Maybe it wasn't because it was in the Midwest of the United States, but her topic by far was the most controversial. Like people went really against her. And this is like people were talking about, you know, more obvious political topics that you would think would be more controversial than being a vegetarian, but advocating for people to be a vegetarian somehow hit a nerve. So I always think that being vegetarian is sort of value neutral. Like, you know, although some people, I think for, for a lot of people who make that choice, of course, it's a lot based on very deeply held values. Um, we're not making a value judgment one way or another. Right, Sorry for interesting story. And I, uh, I also want to add one reflection before we start the top five. I think that potentially sexual repressed people are the ones that should reconsider being vegetarians at times because they they tend to lose even more intensity and energy and that zeal you know i think that that is something to think about but uh, again no value judgment and what is your number five so my number five is two um i think twos can really go other way either way sometimes i see twos um becoming vegetarians maybe because someone else is someone they live with and they're kind of they'll kind of go along with that other times it's it's uh, based on different choices but i don't see that it's a big factor in being a two but it's my number five what about you what's your number five well mine mine is three and it might look counterinstinctive to think of threes um, being vegetarians. But what I see is that that happens when they are in an environment when that is uh, uh, invited, like if expected, like threes in yoga, you know, or, uh, you know, some environments. And when they are athletes that need to take care of, uh, um, you know, diet in that particular vegetarian way. I think mm -hmm. they adapt and they become that, but it's more because of adaptation. I don't see any other reason they have the tendency. Mm -hmm. What What is your number four? My number four is one. Um, and one, I think often ones do things or make choices based on certain deeply held values. And I think, um, sometimes ones can, uh, see some, a certain way of being as kind of an ideal way of being or something virtuous. And I think for some ones, there are some, you know, uh, important reasons to, to be vegetarian. And so, that, and they can be, you know, a little more rigid about the things they choose, right? They can hold to them. Uh, like my brother's a one and he'll decide like, I'm not eating sugar for a month. Right. And he just does it. Right. And, and I don't know if it's hard for him or not, but I, I marvel at it because if I decided I wasn't eating sugar for a month, that would be extremely difficult for me and I might not be able to do it. Right. But he absolutely does it. And that's just the way it is. Anyway, I digress. What's your number four? 
Well, listening to you, I think I should have included uh, type one in my list. I didn't. Uh, my number four is type four. I just think that especially self-press force have the tendency uh, of sacrificing a bit and being more stoic and, you know, doing diets that are harder. And uh, this is one of them. And I think that force can be a bit more idealistic at times, or even I think we talked about in, in a, a past episode some time ago, that force tend to become a bit more radical sometimes in things, even politically or as militants of different kinds of things. And when, when that comes to vegetarianism, uh, force tend to engage more, but not as much as other types in my view. So it's my number four. What is your third? My third is three. Um, a little bit for what you said, and maybe I'm influenced by the fact that one of my dearest friends, who is the mo one of the most committed vegetarians uh, I've known, because, you know, some people will be vegetarian for a period of their life and then they won't, um, is a three. Um, she's a self-pres three. Um, and I think, I do think that there are sometimes threes kind of identify a way of being that they think is good and then they they're good at becoming that you know and again it, it could be an adaptation like you're saying but i also think it could be based on kind of a value set that they identify with um or a kind of person that they want to be you know and again i i i want to say this as i i think it it can be image oriented but i think it's much more than that for some threes i think it's like a uh, it's that so we sometimes say that that threes need to have role models and sometimes there can be kind of a, a defined way of being in the world or being you know with in in with nature that a three can see this is the way to be you know and they get really good at adhering to that you know in terms of and again it could be a value of like i'm someone who's kind to animals or i'm someone who's um, in concerned about the environment and that becomes a very strong thing for them, um, no matter what motivated it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Similar to the points I made for threes, uh, in my top, my number five, but, uh, thinking a bit more about threes, I think this may be very different in places like California when compared to, let's say, France, where that's not as much of a trend, or in meat-eating uh, meat countries. Imagine South Africa, you know, or Uruguay in uh, South, South America. I think that uh, less threes would become vegetarians. It's more like conforming to the tendencies in the overall society. Right. Um, my, my number... Yeah, my number three is fives. And it, it's just my my empirical experience. I, I think I saw many, many fives who have become vegetarians, and I'm not one of them. But uh, I, think, I think it's a little easier for fives to go without, to stay without anything in the minimalistic approach to life. Mm -hmm. Um, it's easier to have less than to have more for fives. And I think that makes it a bit easier 
for fives to be vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my number two is four. Um, and a little bit like what you said, only I think that fours are, are often really good at, I mean, good at, or they have a tendency to sort of live in terms of particular ideals, um, like having a, 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 almost a sense of this is a good way to be, or this is something I want to embody in my life. This is an ideal or, and I think um, vegetarianism can be one of those kinds of ideals or connected to ideals like that. Uh, and I think fours are good at, um, at, at really deciding for themselves that they're going to adhere to certain ideals and then really doing that um, for whatever reason. Um, and, and again, for self-pres for, I think that for different subtypes, there can be slightly different reasons for a self-pres for, there could be that kind of sacrificial element of, you know, making life a little bit more difficult, uh, but it being that being worth it. Um, uh, and for the social for and sexual for, it can be a little bit more of something that they're, uh, that they want to express in, in terms of how they live their life. Interesting. What about you? My number two is nine. Yeah, I think that nines have this tendency to think of animals and to, you know, be lighter and and to just uh, live a healthier life. Although sometimes it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I just see empirically that many nines I know have become vegetarians. I'm not even sure I can explain that too much, but I, I see that empirically. Hmm. Interesting. Um, although definitely not as a total rule. Yeah, yeah, I thought about including So curious nine. about your number one. So you didn't include about... nine. So now I think I know what your number one is, yeah. Yeah, my number one is seven, or more particular social seven, and then sexual seven, I think probably self-preservation the least. But social sevens, I think there's a sense of sacrifice, a sense of wanting to be pure and good and uh, a sense of wanting the world to be a better place, which can be also one of the reasons I think I chose one as part of this uh, and or even idealistic types of any type that I have on my list. But the social seven of almost seeing it as something good to be really concerned about taking the pain away from the world, including the animals, for instance, um, and seeing that as something that's really important. I have a friend who I think she's a seven. I'm not, I think she's either a seven or an eight, either a social seven or a social eight. And one morning uh, on Facebook or something, someone had posted a video about the way animals are treated when they're not treated well, when they're um, used for food. And she started being a vegetarian that day <laughs> uh, because it was almost like she couldn't handle the pain yeah. that, of, uh, that they might feel. And I think that's a good reason to be a vegetarian and because we don't, we're not, we don't treat animals humanely. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's my number one. What about you? Same here. Uh, I said social seven, more that subtype. And uh, I, I, I see just the same reasons that you mentioned very well. 
Uh, and I see also that social servants many times don't stop in the vegetarianism. They go become vegan and then even more like crudicists or, uh, you know, right. they uh, like eating only raw food and not cooked and only vegetables and a few nuts and so forth. So there are different <laughs> categories of uh different categories of uh, i know you wouldn't consider that i know you it's hard for you to imagine what that is but it yes. does exist i just my point is social servants don't stop in the vegetarianism because they become there's almost never enough sacrifice for them you know i think that sacrifices the name of social servants and i think that at least in the beginning Becoming a vegetarian in, in, involves some dose of sacrifice, more for some than for others, but social servants don't really, uh, they are not bothered about sacrificing. And I agree when you say that self-press servants probably really different, not as much, or even the opposite. But it's social servants are so much more uh, uh, propense to to being vegetarians, that it's also my number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that does it for this episode of the Enneagram 2.0. We hope you join us again next time where we talk about all things Enneagram. Enneagram.